everyone welcome to the 44th episode of our news podcast this one will be going for the entire month of december besides the 31st because i'm recording this on the 30th of course this podcast and all of our other podcasts are part of northern provisions llc check out the lethal minds journal a veteran and active duty publication focusing on foreign and military affairs art and culture take a look at the journal's bulletin from the borderlands a bi-monthly foreign affairs publication from multiple talented intelligence analysts and independent journalists head over to lethalmindsjournal.substack.com or instagram at lethal.minds.journal check out the freelancers a media and research collective dedicated to covering modern conflicts with a soft focus on foreign fighters find them on twitter at cbt freelancers Instagram at Freelancers Blog and their website at freelancersconflictblog.wordpress.com. Please consider supporting us on Patreon at patreon.com slash analyze educate, or you can buy us a coffee at ko-fi.com slash analyze educate. We will hop into the news. All right, we'll start off with Poland. The U.S. State Department cleared a potential sale of M1A1 main battle tanks to Poland on December 6th. The department said that the sale would support U.S. national security objectives by improving the security of a NATO member state. The sale would include 116 M1 tanks, 12 M888A2 combat recovery vehicles, 8 M1110 joint assault bridges, 6 M577A3 command vehicles, 26 Humvees, and other related equipment. The total price of the sale would be an estimated $3.75 billion and would also include training and technical support. This comes as Poland is in the middle of modernizing its military and moving away from old Soviet-era equipment. The Abrams tank would join German-laid Leopard 2 tanks as Poland is seeking to replace its T-72s and PT-91s which it has been donating to Ukraine since the invasion began in late February. In Azerbaijan, on December 6th, President Ilham Aliyev signed a bill that would declare the city of Susha the, quote, capital of the Turkic world in 2023. Susha was captured from the de facto Republic of Artsakh in 2020 at the end of the Second Karabakh War. Aliyev has instructed his cabinet to implement a plan to accomplish this, and on December 25th, Aliyev claimed that the Armenian capital of Yerevan is actually a city of Azerbaijan. He referred to Armenia in saying, quote, Western Azerbaijan is our historical land. This is confirmed by many historical documents, historical maps, and our history, end quote. Aliyev claimed that the leaders of the communist Azerbaijan People's Republic donated Yerevan to Armenia in 1918 and that the supposed move was treason. These claims by the Azerbaijani president are, of course, false and come as state-organized Azeri protesters and special forces personnel are blocking the Lachkin Corridor, the only land route that links Armenia to Artsakh. The corridor runs through Azerbaijani-controlled territory and is supposed to be kept open by Russian peacekeepers in the area who have so far failed to enforce ceasefire provisions that ended the war in 2020. The blockade of the corridor has led to food and medicine shortages in Artsakh and has now gone on for over two weeks. Moving on to Iran, anti-regime protests in the country have continued for the fourth month in response to the killing of Masha Amini by Iran's morality police in Tehran. Protests have been recorded in dozens of cities across the country 
at least 573 demonstrators and bystanders have been killed, according to Reuters. Over 70 security forces personnel have been killed as well. This round of protests grew to become the largest in scale since the 1979 Islamic Republic that brought the current regime to power. Approximately 90,000 Iranians have engaged in the protests, which have been spearheaded by university students, particularly in the capital city, Tehran. The Iranian government is continuing to blame the protests on the United States and Israel, saying that the two are trying to create an Islamic State branch in Iran. The government is also trying to frame the protests as an insurgency. Additionally, Iran has been lashing out beyond its borders, striking Kurdish-Iranian dissidents in Iraq, blaming the protests on them as well. Regime forces have been accused of gunning down protesters en masse, beating people, committing horrific crimes such as sexual assault. Of the protesters that have been arrested and imprisoned, some have been charged with, quote, waging war against God, and at least two of them have been found guilty and executed already. 23-year-old Mohsen Shakari was accused of blocking a road and assaulting a police officer with a machete. He was executed on December 8th, and human rights groups have called his trial a show without due process. On the 12th, 23-year-old Majadreza Ranavard was executed after being found guilty in the involvement of the death of two Baji militiamen. His trial has been likewise referred to as a sham by human rights groups. At this time, it is expected that more prisoners will be charged with waging war against God and will be executed, and we will keep you guys updated once that happens. The scale and spread of protests has been dying down in recent weeks. Protest organizers are urging Iranians to demonstrate spontaneously instead of waiting for pre-scheduled demonstrations. However, the demonstrations have not yet ended, and we will keep you guys updated as to their course of events going forward. In Iraq on the 19th, U.S. Marine Staff Sergeant Samuel Leckie died in Iraq in a non-combat-related incident while in support of Operation Inherent Resolve. The 32-year-old Jefferson, Tennessee native was assigned to the 3rd Marine Raider Battalion. He previously served in Weapons Company, 3rd Battalion, 6th Marine Regiment as an anti-tank missileman and a scout sniper. He had two deployments to Afghanistan under his belt. He is survived by his wife and daughter. A GoFundMe has been set up to support them, which you can find on Instagram if you go to at Street underscore mafia and click on his link tree. We will take a quick break and we will be back with Africa. All right, and we're back with Ethiopia. The federal government and the Tigray People's Liberation Front agree to a cessation of hostilities on November 2nd, which appears will bring an end to their two-year war. However, questions do remain. Eritrea, which supported the Ethiopian government, was not a party to the negotiations, and it is not clear if the country will cease its operations in Tigray. As of right now, they have not. Eritrean troops are still deployed in Tigray and are reportedly still committing war crimes, which they did throughout the two-year war. Eritrea has an axe to grind with the TPLF, dating back to the party's dominance over Ethiopian politics from 1991 to 2018. The two countries fought a war known by some as the Badme War from 1998 to 2000, which ended in an Ethiopian victory, of course, while the country was under the TPLF. 
Another party from the Civil War that is in question is the Oromo Liberation Army, the OLA. The TPLF and the OLA led a coalition of rebel groups in opposition to the federal government. However, the OLA was not president for recent negotiations and has continued fighting against the Ethiopian National Defense Forces, and it appears they will continue to do so for the foreseeable future. On December 5th, a report released by the Washington Post detailed a massive round of prisoner executions that supposedly took place in Ethiopia's Marab Abaya prison. Six surviving witnesses claim that just after the war broke out in November 2021, prison guards and local villagers began killing prisoners with firearms and bladed weapons. The prisoners were reportedly federal government soldiers that were ethnic Tigrayans. That claim does line up with evidence that shows Tigrayan soldiers and other government employees of Tigrayan descent were detained by federal authorities early on in the war. The witnesses said that roughly 83 prisoners were executed in Marababaya and many others went missing as well. And we are just now hearing about this, at least in the mainstream media. On the 8th, the Tigrayan capital city, Mekele, was reconnected to the Ethiopian power grid. Mekele had been without power since July 28, 2021, and Ethiopian Airlines has also resumed its service to Mekele after more than two years. The civilian carrier played a large role in the war, transporting federal soldiers and military equipment to airports just outside of combat zones. Despite this fact, the U.S. Export-Import Bank approved a $281 million loan to the airliner on the 23rd of this month. And a quick note for Peru, obviously you guys have probably seen the continuation of the political crisis Peru is having right now. President Pedro Castillo was arrested on December 7th after he attempted a coup against a Congress that did not work out well for him. I did cover that in the previous bulletin from the borderlands. Obviously a lot has happened since then. Uh, however, I am covering that again for the Bulletin from the Borderlands, and that will be releasing on the 31st, so I will save my coverage for the Bulletin if you are interested in what's going on in Peru or anything else that's happening around the world. Of course, we have a great team of writers, and I suggest you check it out. You can read it for free if you want. You get a free trial and see how you like it. Um and of course, any feedback is welcome, and I really suggest you guys take a look at it. Moving on to the United States, on the first, a man on El Salvador's 100 Most Wanted Criminals list was arrested in Manassas, Virginia. Herbert Bonilla Garcia, 40 years old, was arrested by ICE's enforcement and removal operations after the FBI hypothesized that he was in the Northern Virginia area in October. El Salvador issued two warrants for his arrest in 2015 for aggravated extortion and illicit association. Bonilla Garcia previously illegally entered the United States twice before at an unknown date and location. He was deported back to El Salvador in 2006 and 2012. He is being held in ICE custody before he is extradited to El Salvador. On the 6th, Facebook and Instagram parent company Meta threatened to remove news content from its applications in the United States in the event that Congress passes the Journalism Competition and Preservation Act, the JCPA. The bill would allow media outlets to collectively bargain against social media companies to receive ad revenue in exchange for the news that they provide to platforms. Those who support the bill argue that site traffic brought on by news content brings a significant amount of ad revenue to social media companies. 
Companies like Meta, for example, say that ad revenue brought on by news content is not enough to warrant compensation to news providers. The bill was originally introduced by Senator Amy Klobuchar, the Democrat from Minnesota, in March 2021 and has 14 Senate co-sponsors from both parties. It has not yet been voted on. If Meta went ahead with banning news content, it remains to be seen how it would affect independent journalists, open source intelligence pages, or news aggregators such as our page or any of the others you guys probably follow. Also on the 6th, U.S. Senator Raphael Warnock, the Democrat from Georgia, won re-election, beating Republican Herschel Walker by almost three points in the Georgia runoff race. Warnock's win will likely give Democrats a 51-41 seat majority in the Senate next year. On December 7th, Mexican President Andres Manuel López Obrador began demanding answers from the United States after Mexican-American drug trafficker Edgar Valdez Villarreal, also known as La Barbie, was confirmed to no longer be in the custody of the Federal Bureau of Prisons. 49-year-old Texas-born Villarreal was a founding member of the Beltran Leva cartel in Sinaloa, Mexico. He was arrested by Mexican authorities in 2010, and in 2016, he pleaded guilty to charges of conspiracy to import and distribute cocaine and conspiracy to launder money in a U.S. court. He was sentenced to 49 years in prison. He also played a major role in a cartel war that led to over 150 deaths in Mexico. He is known to have personally tortured and decapitated multiple people throughout his time with the cartel. The Bureau of Prisons did not give Villarreal's whereabouts, only saying that inmates can fall off the custody rosters for multiple reasons, such as having court hearings or leaving a prison for medical treatment. Mexican President AMLO was concerned that Villarreal may have been released, saying that he still has criminal complaints against him in Mexico that need to be dealt with. On the 9th, Arizona Senator Kirsten Sinema, the Democrat, announced that she would change her party affiliation to independent. She cited multiple reasons for the switch, including the, quote, purple makeup of Arizona's electorate, meaning that it's not necessarily Democrat or Republican. In her announcement, she stated that Arizonans draw their own opinions and do not toe the party line on every issue. The freshman senator was a major target from her own former party in the past year and a half after she openly opposed ending the Senate filibuster and the passing of President Biden's Build Back Better agenda. Cinema switching party affiliations will probably not have any meaningful impact as it appears she will retain her committee assignments and will likely continue to caucus with Senate Democrats. Her committee assignments include the Committee on Banking, Housing and Urban Affairs, and the Committee on Homeland Security and Governmental Affairs, among others. On the 20th, the House January 6th Select Committee referred former President Donald Trump to the Department of Justice for criminal charges in relation to the events surrounding January 6, 2021. Those four charges are obstruction of an official procedure, conspiracy to defraud the United States, conspiracy to make false statements, and inciting or assisting an insurrection. To be clear, the decision to formally bring charges against Trump lies with the Department of Justice, and this move by the committee is only a recommendation. However, committee chair Benny Thompson believes the Department of Justice will follow their recommendation. The DOJ is still conducting its investigation of Trump through special counsel Jack Smith, and we will keep you guys up to date if anything comes of that.
In late December, a bomb cyclone left more than 65 people dead in the Midwest and eastern United States. Thousands of flights were canceled in the country in the days surrounding Christmas, with at least 4,800 flights canceled on the 27th alone. Hundreds of thousands have at some point been left without power, and President Joe Biden signed a disaster declaration to facilitate federal support to the state of New York, which bore the brunt of deadly weather. The city of Buffalo has been hit particularly hard. At least 28 people in the city have been found dead as a result of the blizzard. Emergency responders were forced to go car to car searching for survivors in some cases, and sadly, multiple people were found dead in their cars or lying frozen in the snow. A driving ban has been put into effect in Buffalo due to the dangerous conditions and looting has also been reported. Military police personnel are being deployed to the city in order to enforce the driving ban and prevent further looting. Storm-related deaths have also been reported in Vermont, Ohio, Missouri, Wisconsin, Kansas, and Colorado. Canada has also been affected by storms, especially in the provinces of Ontario and Quebec. Four people died this week when their bus rolled over on an icy road in British Columbia. Like I was saying, the Democrats in the Senate will likely have a 51-49 seat majority, but that really might not change a lot of things since they had a majority for the past two years anyway. What will be interesting to see is the Republicans taking over the House with just a four-seat majority. Uh, just looking at the past six years, House Democrats have done very well keeping their caucus in order. With Hakeem Jeffries taking over as House Minority Leader, we'll see if he could continue to keep the caucus in order. Uh, Republicans, on the other hand, have really not done as well as Democrats have in this respect. It has not been uncommon for a Republican to break the party line in recent years, and there is especially a lot of turmoil in the House Republican caucus, particularly surrounding minority leader Kevin McCarthy, who is trying to become the next House Speaker. At this point, it doesn't appear that he'll have enough votes to take the position as some Republican representatives are not confident in his leadership. And it really is worth noting that after the party's really historically disastrous performance in the midterms, and I say disastrous because even though they are taking the House, it's only by less than a handful of seats. Typically in the midterms, the party that holds the presidency usually does not do well, historically speaking. And uh, obviously, this cannot be said for this round of midterms. The Democrats did very well in November 2022. So why do I say this? At this point, there has been no leadership change in the Republican Party since these midterms in November, and it doesn't look like there will be, uh, at least not until the next election. This includes Republican leadership in the House, Senate, and in the Republican National Committee. So that is something worth noting for your politics update. Second question, uh, give a threat assessment of China and or a summary about the protest and the regime's recent response. So I'm not going to answer this on here. I literally just got done recording a podcast on this, and I talked with Sinotalk on Instagram. He is our new China and Pacific expert that is coming on to the bulletin, and we are very excited to have him on. 
And then I also had Good Political on as well. Good Political is, of course, another one of our contributors. And he also works with Atmos News a lot, too. And it was really fun having them both on. We talked a lot about China. We talked about COVID. We talked a little bit about history. We talked about the Chinese military. And it was, um, that was a really fun conversation. Uh, nothing super formal. Um, but it looks like it'll probably be about two hours once I'm done editing everything. Again, I literally just got done recording them within the past hour so. That will come out soon at some point after the new year. But moving on to the third question, what other conflicts should people be keeping an eye on? Well, if you're American, I would definitely say you should be keeping an eye on the Mexican drug war. I really feel like that conflict doesn't get the attention it should, particularly from American media. Sure, everybody knows that cartels are powerful in Mexico, but I don't think most Americans really realize that the government has legitimately the government of mexico has legitimately been at war with criminal organizations since at least 2006 over 60,000 people have been killed and the war has greatly contributed to mexico's decline in what some see as a failed state this is something that has been going on just south of our border for the past 16 years 16 plus years actually and a lot of the action that has taken place has literally happened within 100 miles of our border. This war affects millions of people in Mexico, of course, uh, as well as the rest of Latin America. And it also affects many Americans, many Mexican-Americans who still have family or friends in Mexico and have many ties to that country. And other Americans as well, particularly those living in border states. The war has really only gotten worse since it began, especially since AMLO took office in 2018. And the power balance between the government and the cartels has been consistently shifting towards the latter. With cartels continuing to consolidate territory and advance their tactics, it appears that things are only going to get worse before they get better. Other conflicts to look at include the internal conflict in Ethiopia that I talked about a little bit, and I've also covered before. The conflict between Armenia and Azerbaijan, I again touched on that a little bit, but I've covered that before as well and the Yemeni civil war, which is going on its ninth year. It's directly led to almost 400,000 deaths and famine, which has been categorized as one of the worst, if not the worst, humanitarian crisis of the 21st century. And that is all I have for you guys this week. I want to thank you all for supporting this podcast. It really means a lot to me. You can find this podcast on your favorite apps. That includes Spotify, Google Podcasts, Apple Podcasts, Anchor, Breaker, Overcast, Radio Public, wherever you find your podcasts are there. You could find us on Twitter and Instagram and Telegram at Analyze Educate. That is all one word. Please consider supporting us on Patreon again. That's at patreon.com slash Analyze Educate or at ko-fi at ko-fi slash Analyze Educate. I'll see you guys next year.